Well, good morning. Like Tim just mentioned, my name is Ben Marsh. I am the new student director here at Shepherd's Gate, and uh, I'm excited to have the privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, and as I was thinking about what to share and what to talk about, um, there was just a theme that came to mind for me. Given the circumstances that we're all currently walking through um, with COVID and the unrest within our country, um, it just made me think about how oftentimes we can get worn down, that we can get weary, that we get tired. And when we find ourselves in that place, it might lead us to a spot of wanting to just throw in the towel and quitting. And so that's my question for you this morning. Have, have you, um, or when have you, when have you wanted to quit? And it could be during this very season right now. It could be during the time that you were in a lockdown with family. It could be while you're waiting for something else to come that you're just ready to throw in the towel and you're ready to quit. I know for me and my family, when we came here, many of you already know that we, we came all the way up from Houston, Texas uh, in the middle of March when everything was shut down. And it was a very long journey for us to actually come here. It took us a little bit over three months uh, because we were locked down and trying to sell our home. So our drive that only took 20-some hours actually turned into much longer than we would have ever imagined. And there are moments that you, we probably could have second-guessed ourselves and wondered what's going on, but, but thankfully we didn't quit on that. But there was a season in my life when I did want to quit, and in fact, I did. And I can think back to when I was in eighth grade and I was running track. And so I did a variety of different events because uh, I was at a small school, small Lutheran school, and so we were able to try out any event that we wanted, which gave me the opportunity to do things like high jump, long jump, shot put, and run the, the different races. And so um, I did a variety of different things, but uh, when it came down to the end of my eighth grade season, it became apparent that if I wanted to go on to the next level, I was going to have to win some race. And as my coach looked at the different opportunities and the different events that I could compete in, he saw that there was one that had less competitors in it and just given the numbers thinking maybe Ben would be able to do well in this event and he could go on to the next stage, that he could potentially go to regionals or to states. And uh, the only thing about that event is I had not run it before. And so the day came and I did my events I was familiar with. And then in the last event of that meet, uh, arrived and uh, it happened to be the mile race. A race I had not run, uh, an event I had not done in a track meet prior in that season or any season. And so I show up at the starting line. All the other competitors had been racing that, likely for that entire season, if not more. So they were comparing their times and they were talking about what they would have to do to make it onto the next stage. I had no idea what my time was. I hadn't done it before. All I knew is that I wanted to go on to the next level. And if I wanted to do that, then I needed to run fast. And so, with a lot of nerves, uh, I heard that starting gun go off, and I ran off that starting line like a man on fire. And immediately, I saw that there was some separation, that uh, I was basically in a dead sprint. And so, through that first lap, if you're familiar with this event, it's four laps around the track, and through that first lap, I began to uh, not only separate myself, but get a substantial lead on all the other competitors. And it went from a few meters to 10 meters to 20 meters. And 
I stand before you having won the 400 meter in the mile. The problem with that is it's a mile. It's not 400 meters. And so after that first lap of me sprinting, I realized I was in trouble. And I realized that in a hurry because my sprint became a run. And then shortly after that, it became a jog. And so in laps two and in laps three, my competitors began to pass me one by one by one. My lead dwindled and all of a sudden I find myself in last place. And then on the final, on the fourth lap, on the last turn of the fourth lap, I was able to see all the other competitors had finished the race, which led me to a spot of wanting to quit and throw in the towel. Now I stayed on the track, but I began to walk. I walked in the rest of that last 200 meters of that mile event, and, uh, and I didn't go to state that year. Uh, I just wanted to quit. And I, in fact, I did, in all reality, quit. I didn't run the entire race. And so you might be, at some point in your journey right now, with whatever it is that is looming over you, you might be coming right out of the starting line. You might be at the starting line right now with those nervous butterflies in eager anticipation about what's to come next. You might be off the starting blocks and you might be in that first lap like I was, uh, joyfully running as fast as you possibly can. Or you might be in lap two or three as you're beginning to slow. Or I'm guessing there's some people right now that are in their lap four and you want to quit. And so I'd love for you to ask yourself that question right now, today. What mile marker are you at? Where are you at in your race right now? Are you excited? Are you waiting with eager anticipation? Or are you slowing down? Or my guess is there's, there's some of us, potentially many of us, that are ready to quit. Well, the good news for all of us, no matter where you are at, no matter what mile marker you're at right now. God's word has something to say about us running well and about running with endurance and running with perseverance. And it actually comes out of the book of Hebrews. In chapter 12, uh, the author begins to share with us this idea of what it is to run well. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now, the first thing that jumps out to me in this, and it's kind of interesting language, is this idea of a great cloud of witnesses. And so what is that? If you look at it within context, um, Hebrews chapter 12 follows 11. And in 11, it talks about these heroes of faith. And it goes in a list, uh, a number of heroes. And some are very, very familiar especially with the audience that uh, the author is writing to, the Hebrew people. Um, but they're probably familiar to you, too, if you're familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, included in there are people like Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, and Samson. And so as he's talking about this cloud of witnesses, he's talking about these heroes of faith, the people that had gone before and had followed God well. 
And so we know that Abraham was like the foundation that was laid for all the Israelite people. And Noah, without having ever had a drop of rain hit the earth, believed and trusted in God and had the faith to build an ark and that saved people through that. Moses led people out of slavery, an entire nation, and David was the king, the person who was after God's own heart. And Samson used the gift that God had given him to, to fight off Philistines. And he was faithful in that way too. But also, as you look at this list, you might recognize that there are faults in all these, these men, all these heroes of faith, that they weren't perfect. They didn't, they didn't run a perfect journey. They faltered. Abraham lied. Noah got drunk. Moses killed a guy. David killed a guy after he had committed adultery. Samson dealt with pride and with lust. While these were heroes, they were not perfect images of a perfect race, but they, they still ran well. And in each of our lives, we can look, of course, to Scripture. We can look to the Old and the New Testament, and we can see heroes of faith who lived life well and ran after God. But there's also people in your life. They could be grandparents, parents. They could be aunts, uncles, godparents. There's someone in your life. There's, there's hopefully more than just one person in your life who you would consider in your cloud, this cloud of witnesses. So I'm curious, who is in your cloud? When you think about heroes of faith that have gone before you and have set an example and have lived a life well and left a legacy for you, who are they? And are, I ask you to think upon them. Think about how they live their life and how they oriented their life and how you can model that. You see, for me, while we were on lockdown, I was actually up in the Tri-Cities in the Saginaw Bay City area. And during that time, uh, my, my grandmother fell ill. Uh, she had been sick for quite some time. Um, and then during this whole time of social distancing, it made it difficult to determine whether to visit her or not. But being in that close of proximity actually allowed me for in her final days to be able to be by her bedside along with much of her family. See, my, my grandmother was a great woman of faith and she was also a great woman of family. Having had a very, very large family and having made an immense impact on her large family, she left um, such a great imprint on all of us. But one thing that I heard a number of my aunts repeating uh, was this phrase from her, to take things one day at a time. To call upon Jesus and just know that all I need to do is I need to take things one one day at a time. My grandmother left an amazing legacy. It's someone that I can look at and go, that person, my grandmother, she is in my cloud. That is someone that I look at and go, she lived life well. She left a legacy. And she also left a little bit of a blueprint on how to live well to depend on God and to know that you only need to take things one day at a time. And maybe that's good news for you today is that you don't need to worry about the entire journey you just need to worry about the next few steps and lean into God and to trust in it and recognize that you just have to take it one day at a time. And in our journey, there are things that are going to get in the way. It's going to be difficult each and every day. And the author of Hebrews points that out to us. After talking about the cloud of witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles us. I think it's interesting that there's almost like a a little bit of a delineation between there's two different things. We all recognize there's sin in our lives, that we fall short of the perfect plan that God has for us. And that entangles, it can trip us up. If you think about running, being tripped is not a great thing, but there's also this other stuff in our life that is weight, that hinders us, that is cumbersome in our journey. And that stuff can be, it could be simply um, morally neutral. It's not good or bad necessarily, but in the sense of trying to run a long journey, if you have a bunch of weight on you, weighing you down, you're not gonna be able to go very far and you're certainly not gonna be able to go very fast. And so this could be anything in your life that is not right on the path that God has for you, but it's not good or bad necessarily. It could be hobbies, it could could even be family, it could be a career path. These things are not good or bad, but oftentimes they are good, but when they're misplaced, they become bad, they become cumbersome, they weigh us down and they allow us to not run like God would have us run. It actually reminds me of another time when I was running a little bit. When I moved on from junior high and went to high school, I began to do um, football. And that that is certainly a game of speed. It's about being as fast as possible. And one of the models of thinking is that to be faster, you would put weight on and train and run and jump and do all those sorts of things. And then when you take the weight off, you'd be faster. And there's probably some good uh, science behind that. But I remember when I was in high school that there was actually a new uh, thought pattern that was emerging. And it was that you actually needed to have less weight so you could learn to run faster. And one of our coaches actually bought a device. It was simply a bungee cord, maybe 15, 20 feet long. And you would attach it to two different athletes. You would tell the first athlete to run as fast as possible. And the second one would wait until that line became totally taut and full of tension. And then, then the second athlete would run. And what he would do is he would be able to run even faster and he would overtake the person who had gone before him. The person who had gone before him had taken away much of the resistance and weight and it actually allowed his legs to move faster than his brain knew how. And that's what God's calling us to do. Maybe you have more weight on you right now than you need and you're not able to run as fast as possible. So you might be able to ask yourself this today. What is it the weight that you're carrying? Is it the weight of sin? Because then most certainly you need to turn, you need to repent. And when that weight is lifted off of you, you're gonna be able to run faster. Or is it some of the things that are morally neutral, but you just have misplaced, that you've actually placed in the place of God or in too high of a place of importance and that's slowing you down. And maybe you need to drop that weight. Or maybe you need to drop the fact that you're waiting for something. You're waiting for the end of something. You're waiting for something else to come. And maybe you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's where our author goes next. Actually, he he first tells us that we need to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Now, I think this is interesting because in my case, I ran an impeccable 400 meter when I was in eighth grade. It was fantastic. The problem was that wasn't the event that I was in. The event I was in was the mile. And so right now, maybe you need to take a look at what event is it that you're running? What is the finish line that you are running towards right now? So for for some of us right now, let's get really real. 
For many of us right now, our finish line is a vaccine. We're just waiting for the day that there's a vaccine so then we can go back to normal, right? That's the finish line that's set before us because then it'll be fine, right? Maybe it's that the economy needs to turn back around. That's as soon as the market reaches a certain point, that's my finish line. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be stable again. Maybe it's the election. Maybe if I had the right person in that seat, that's my finish line and I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be okay. And maybe for families right now, let's be brutally honest, I just need my kids to go back to school. I can't do this anymore. I mean, yes, we're on summer break, but I just need them to go back to school. I can't work and be teacher and be parent. I can't do all of it. I can't wear all those hats. I just need this finish line set out in front of me. And if I get there, then I'm going to be okay. We all have different finish lines. And we all have them set in our minds. The problem with those finish lines is that's not the race that's set before us. That is not the life and the journey that God has called us to live as Christians. To have a more holistic view of your entire life from birth to death that you are called to live well. And that there are going to be mile markers along the way. And it will certainly be a good day that we have a vaccine. It'll certainly be a good day when students go back to school. It'll be a good day when those things happen. But the race isn't over then. You're not done running yet. The journey continues. And so you have to be able to look ahead and look at what is the race you're actually running. You might have to ask yourself that question this morning and go, what, what is it that I'm waiting for? What is the finish line that I'm right now putting my trust in? And the author tells us what we're supposed to do as we're trying to look for a finish line. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I just love this idea because I think it kind of works in a couple of different ways. Number one, we need to fix our eyes. Our eyes are broken. We're looking in the wrong direction, but we actually need to set our gaze and look at something different. We need to set them upon Jesus and look to him. I mean, really simply, if any of you uh, have gone through driver's ed and all of us who drive, you know this much, that if you're driving, you can't be looking down. Because if you do, you're not going to be able to react and respond to how the road changes or if you need to stop. You, you need to lift your eyes. You need to lift your gaze. You need to fix your eyes on the horizon and look further. Because the reality is that we all know it in driving, but in life it's true too. That is wherever you stare is where you're going to end up steering. So right now, if you're focused on some sort of finish line or you're focused on your problems, that is where you're just going to continue to steer your thought life, your spiritual life, and your physical life is just going to go in that direction. But if we do what we're called by the author of Hebrews to do and to fix our eyes on Jesus and look to him, well, then life is going to look totally different. Because one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 121, it says, I look to the hills. I look to the hills. The hills being some... Um, would interpret that and to say that hills back then would represent power and authority. If I look to the hills, I mean, the hills are where you could even be susceptible to an attack too. If I look up to those things, I'm not going to be okay. If I look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the person who made the hills. That is where I need to fix my eyes. You don't need to fix your eyes on the person who is might be elected or schools coming back or a vaccine coming. There is a God who's in control of this entire situation. And look beyond the hills. Look beyond all of those situations and circumstances and the problems that you might have. Look beyond those things 
to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's what the, that's what we read here is that he's the author, the, the perfecter of our faith. The one who started everything and the one who's going to finish everything. God who continues to be working in us, who is there when the, when the foundation of the world was laid and the one who is ultimately going to be sitting on the throne and is sitting on the throne now when everything is said and done. And it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's some of the good news that you need to hear today. That if you think about this event and this journey that you're all on, this competition, if it feels that way, how do you know someone's won? Well, if they're sitting down at the finish line, then I think you can rest assured that it's already won. And that is currently where Jesus is. That he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting on his throne. He's not running the race anymore. It's over. He won it. He won it on the cross. He won it through his resurrection. And now he's won it for us as he's sitting on his throne so we can have confidence in the race that he's run. That it's won. And so that's my encouragement for you this, today is that that race that he already ran, that journey that he's already gone on, that's one that, that we're all running too. But the good news is that we don't have to win it because he's already won it. So you get to run. You get to live your one day at a time. And you get to run every day like it's already won. We already have victory. We don't need to win. We don't need to be perfect. We just need to be faithful. We need to persevere. We need to endure because we know that perseverance gives way to character and character to hope. And we're called to be a people of hope that in situations and circumstances like we're all walking through right now, we should be, we should be marked. We should be different because we are a people of hope and we have confidence in a God who's already won the race for us. And so the author continues on and he tells us to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Because if we ponder and if we think about Jesus and the life that he lived, it's not a God who is distant from us. Earlier in Hebrews in chapter 6, it talks about how Jesus is our high priest who's able to empathize because he was tempted in every way. He lived a human life. He came down as man while still being God. But as man and endured temptation, endured being, um, being beaten and bruised, endured being around human beings who didn't understand him, didn't understand the, the, the reason that he came. And he endured all that. He endured the fact that he even went to his father and asked for the cup to pass from him because he knew the suffering that he was going to have to go through. Yet he endured, he persevered, and he was faithful to his heavenly father, our heavenly father. And because of that, we can look to him. We can look to how he ran well, how he truly ran perfectly. And so when we grow weary and when we lose heart, we can look back to Jesus. We can fix our eyes upon him and we can know it's already won. He did it. He ran well. And that no matter where you're at, if you're in that moment where you want to quit, don't. Don't quit. Continue on. Continue to put one foot in front of the other. And if you have quit, then pick yourself back up knowing that Jesus has gone before you and he's, he's ran it perfectly. It's won for you. 
I'll remind you again that I want you to run like it's already won. You see, there's this amazing story. Um, while I'm not an endurance athlete, I was inspired by this story. There was a gentleman by the name of Cliff Young, and who at the age of 61 decided that he wanted to do an ultra marathon. Not having done any race before, not having done just a simple marathon, decided he wanted to do an ultra marathon. One that actually was comprised of a 400 and, or I'm sorry, 544 mile race on the western side of Australia. Now, while he had not trained specifically for that race a day in his life, he had actually kind of been training every single day because he was a shepherd on his family's farm, which was over 2,000 acres, and he had 2,000 sheep on that farm that he was chasing around every day because on that 2,000 acre farm, there was no tractor, there was no horse. That was Cliff. His job as shepherd was to gather all those sheep and run around. So he had quite a bit of endurance, and for whatever reason, Cliff decided that he wanted to enter this ultra marathon. So he shows up that day of the race. The gun goes off. All these other younger guys who had trained specifically for this race and competed before take off ahead of him and leave him behind in the dust. And Cliff simply just shuffled along, had a little shuffle that he kept on doing. The other competitors were so far ahead of him that the first night, because you have to imagine, this is a 544 mile race, that this takes a number of days. And so they set up camp for the night so they could get a little bit of rest. Well, while they were resting that night, Cliff, who had no idea that you were actually supposed to rest, just continued to shuffle and continued to run. He overtook all the other competitors who were sleeping and just ran and continued to run for a number of days. And as he continued to run, he actually ended up shattering the record of that race by two full days. And upon completing the race, was given the prize, which he had no idea there was even a prize for the race, apparently. And it was a $10,000 prize. And, and Cliff, after having won the race and receiving the prize, realized you know, he didn't want the prize. And he kind of actually, I think, felt a little bit bad that everyone else tried so hard. So he gave that prize to the other competitors. The image that we have in Cliff is a race that was very well run. And in him, we, we see somewhat an image of Christ, someone who has gone before, someone who's ran like we couldn't run and won a prize. Jesus didn't come down to earth to live a perfect life so he could have all the glory and honor for himself, but rather he came and he won a prize. He won us back to give us eternal life, to give us hope, to give us a future. And so he's able to bestow that upon all of us, all the other, other ones of us who are running as best as we can. But the fact is we can't win it. He's won it. He's won it and he gives us the prize. You have the prize. You have Jesus. You have hope. And so I, I ask you to live one day at a time and, and live each day like, like you're running a race that you've already won because you've won it through Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that in situations like we're all currently walking through, that we're all currently walking through as a country and as a world, but God, you even know the situations that are going on in our own households, in our own hearts, God. Situations that can bring us to our knees and make us want to quit. God, encourage us, embolden us, Give us the ability to look to you, to be strengthened and to realize it's not dependent on us, 
God, it's not dependent on us to be perfect or to win. God, you've already won it for us. You've already given us the victory. Let us live each and every day, even when it's difficult, especially when it's hard, as if we won. Let us not quit. Let us not grow weary. God, let us be your children who live with hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.